Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local, sponsored by People's Bank. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce your host of Business Talk. He's editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here is George O'Brien. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of Business Talk. Uh, we have a terrific show for you today. Uh, I can't wait to get to it, but I will. Because first, we need to hear this message from our sponsor, People's Bank. Thank you for listening to the Business Talk podcast, sponsored by People's Bank, bringing you the best in business experts, entrepreneurs, and evangelists. Make Business Talk your innovation break for ideas and inspiration. People's Bank, where commercial banking can fuel your growth and make work life easier. Member FDIC, DIF Equal Housing Lender. Bank at peoples.com slash business. Okay, I am back. Uh, this is Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by People's Bank. Uh, we're talking today with Ted Mendoza. He's the Capital Projects Manager at UMass Amherst, my alma mater, a terrific school, I might add. Uh, welcome, Ted. Hi, George. Okay, thank you for, for, for joining us today. We have a very ambitious, intriguing project to talk about today that was announced uh, Late last month, this is a project to uh, take UMass to uh, only renewable power on the entire campus, all those buildings, everything on campus, just renewable power. Carbon zero, I believe the project is being called. Am I right? That's, that's right. That's right. That's yeah, right. it is okay. ambitious. It's very exciting for us. Okay. Tell us, first of all, how this came about, and then we want to get into the particulars of just how we're going to do this. Uh, this is a massive undertaking, and I know you've got a uh, timeline will take you, I believe it's what, 2030, 2035? In, in, that, in that ballpark, yes. That's okay. the idea. That's the so idea. Let's, talk, let's talk first. How, when do we, was this put on the drawing board? Uh, who put it on the drawing board and what was their thinking? Sure. So I'll say, um, let's flashback, I'll say several years ago. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact year, but let's just put a pin on somewhere around 2015. Um, there was a movement that was created by the students um, to, uh, with a growing concern about the university's um, attachment to fossil fuels running the campus. And so there was this movement to divest from fossil fuels that really kind of sparked, I'd say, you know, um, where we're at now. Uh, it, it kind of we kind of took that um, that seed and kind of grew it into the vision that that is today. Uh, it was really through the vision of uh, Chancellor Subswami and his willingness to acknowledge, respect, and, and work with the students on this topic. Um, you know, there, there were several iterations uh, of the evolution uh, before it got to me as far as um, my direct involvement um, with the initiative and developing into the plan as it currently stands today. Tell us a little bit about your work at UMass. Um, sure. Um, so uh, as a capital projects manager, uh, I am part of a team through our, our department design and construction management that works under uh, the entire umbrella of facilities and campus services. And what we do is we take um, the vision of the campus planning and other stakeholders about how the campus is uh, wants to be shaped into physically from an infrastructure and buildings uh, stockpile standpoint, and kind of turn that into a reality. Um, it's it's the, an industry that I've been a part of for 
I'd say about 30 years now, uh, ever since I graduated from college out on the West Coast. And, um, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer by discipline. And so kind of my focus, I'll say, is looking at not necessarily the buildings from an aesthetic point of view, but from a functional point of view and specifically with the um, mechanical systems, mechanical and control systems and kind of the way things work, um, you know, with the, the, the climate uh, as it is these days um, centered around energy efficiency, sustainability, you know, there are some um, architectural aspects of that that um, contribute to, um, you know, the evolution and development of, you know, our, our technologies in, in those fields. But, you know, a lot of it centers around mechanical systems, HVAC systems, and the way that we heat and cool our buildings and manage our, our energy consumption. So it's kind of, I guess, the stuff that I've been doing my whole life is being thrust into the limelight, so to speak. And uh, it's, it's kind of, I guess, my time to shine, so to speak. So let's talk a little bit about the, this, this project in, in more detail here. Uh, how much of the power at the campus right now is renewable? What percentage? And I assume it's not a very big number. Uh, and, then, and then talk about uh, just what's involved to getting from whatever that number is to 100% renewable. Sure. Um, so... Um, th- there's there's a, a little bit of ambiguity in that, and, and let me explain um, what that means. So, you know, a lot of the power that we consume on campus is um, generated from our combined heating and power plant. So we, at our combined heating and power plant, we burn fossil fuels um, to create steam, and that steam is used 100% uh, throughout 100% of campus for heating purposes. It's not necessarily comfort heating. There's also process heating for research needs and whatnot. Um, and 100% of campus's steam demands is from our CHP. Um, as a byproduct of that, um, that CHP combined heating and power, um, we use that steam generation to turn turbines and create electricity. And that electricity uh, that, we, that we send out to our campus is uh, covers about 70% of campus. So currently um, we generate um, 70% of our electricity that we use on campus and the remaining 30% is, is um, obtained by other means. And so the other means is where it gets a little bit kind of funny. So we have our um, on-site renewable, on-site um, mostly being solar uh, photovoltaics and that's uh, very prevalent throughout campus. If anyone goes through campus, they'll see now the increasing um, parking lot canopies, solar canopies that are, you know, have been um, installed on campus and continue to be looked at for other parking lots and other areas, as well as what you can't see is on some some buildings, uh, uh, specifically like the Champion Center, Rec Center, um, Computer Science Building, um, those all have uh, on the rooftops solar fo- photovoltaic panels. And all of that uh, on-site solar uh, generation accounts for maybe about 5% of our overall load. Mm-hmm. So if you take the 70 minus plus the five, you got the remaining 25%. That's purchased from um, our local grid. So that's Eversource. And that's where it gets a little funky because, you know, we don't necessarily know the, the makeup of, uh, you know, where Eversource gets their elect- electricity sources from. But I'm, I imagine that, you know, a portion of that is from renewable sources. And hopefully the idea is that a growing 
amount of that continues to get cleaner and get um, service to us in that way. Okay, so we're for the future, we're looking to use geothermal to provide this heat moving forward? Is that the... Yeah, so the idea with geothermal is kind of taking um, the, the way that the way that um, mechanical systems work or HVAC systems currently work, which is generally kind of a one-way street, I'll say. Uh, you know, we usually take some kind of an energy source, um, convert it to some usable energy uh, in the form of heating and cooling of various sorts. And then whatever we don't use, it normally gets exhausted back into the atmosphere. Uh, this is not a, you know, a specialized thing or maybe hopefully a shocking thing, but, you know, anyone that has uh, an air conditioning unit at their home has a condensing unit sitting on the outside that runs every once in a while. That's taking the heat that you don't want when you want it cool inside, and it's basically displacing it from the inside of your home to the outside of your home. So that just gets kind of wasted back to the environment, um, you know, in, in a larger scale at a campus level and larger buildings, it's still the same kind of concept. So what we're doing with the geothermal technology by implementing that is taking that kind of one-way street and kind of closing that loop. So the idea is that if there's any, if there's heat or energy that we have generated or procured in some way that we don't necessarily need at that point in time, we have a place to store it. So think of the geothermal more of like a, as like an earth battery of sorts where we can store that energy and then pull it out when we need it. And so if you look at the span of, let's say an entire season, you know, you can look at all of the cooling and this isn't, you know, this isn't a perfect science, but let's just say you can look at all of the cooling and all of the waste heat that we would normally blow off to the atmosphere. Now we capture it, store it in the earth, save it, and then in the wintertime, pull it back out, use it as much as we can. And then the cycle goes back and forth year after year. Okay, you've got an interesting inventory of buildings on campus. Some of them are 10 years old or less. Some of them are, a lot of them were built 50 or so years ago. And you 100, 100 plus years ago, sometimes. Some that go back 100, 130 or 40 years. What, what challenges does that present when you've got all this different, this huge mix of buildings with different uh, eras, uh, different construction processes? Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. You know, it's, um, it, it's I guess, probably not as um, not as challenging as you might imagine it would be. Um, it is it is something that you know in my in my industry and from my my perspective is a challenge that I've been faced with you know over the my whole career, right? You have buildings, a lot of existing buildings of varying vintages that want to be updated to um, you know the newer technologies and sometimes proactively to save energy. And sometimes um, just to just to um, modernize systems that have been that have been um, in place beyond their useful life, right? Uh, you have equipment that runs that um, heating and cooling that you know, depending on the way that it's it's uh, maintained and operated, depending on the location of it. Sometimes they're on rooftops or on ground levels, or sometimes they're you know tucked away in the basements of buildings and kind of protected from the outdoor environments, you know, they could last anywhere from, you know, 10 to 50 plus years. Um, and, but at some point there, they'll need to be upgraded, updated, replaced. And, um, you know, part of my job is to figure all of that out. 
Um, so, you know, to, to take that and uh, now um, layer in the lens of carbon neutrality and our carbon zero initiative, you know, is it any different? Not really. You know, right. we're just, we're still taking on the same span of uh, different types of building um, vintages. We're still looking at the same um, differences in um, uh, HVAC systems and the challenges that they present. And, and then we just figure out what the what scope of work needs to be done and then get it done. Okay. You're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by People's Bank. Uh, we're talking today with Ted Mendoza. He's a capital projects manager at UMass Amherst. We're talking about the university's Carbon Zero Project, very ambitious Carbon Zero Project. I believe the number I've heard is $500 million worth of Carbon Zero Project. We'll, we'll talk about that in a, a minute. A lot of zeros there. <laughs> a lot of zeros. Um, let's just talk about, uh, this is, you're not the only university that, that's looking into this that's already kind of advancing plans to, to do something like this. Uh, is there a model that you're looking at right now, or are you creating the model, as they like to say? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of both, um, you know, part, part of the plan that we're undertaking, um, you know, is, is part of our own brain trust, um, you know, the creativity of our brain trust. Um, we know kind of, you know, the makeup of our buildings. We know kind of the challenges of constructability on campus and, um, you know, the, the factors that we need to consider um, that are not necessarily construction related, right? We have to still maintain, um, you know, a, a level of student experience, campus life. Um, you know, there's research needs that need to be considered that don't necessarily care about carbon zero. You know, they're focused on their own needs. And, um, you know, we have, to, we have to kind of consider all of those things as far as the timing, uh, the placement of the work, um, the type of work that we do. Um, and so, you know, all of that kind of goes into the, into the, the planning of what we've done so far, but also, you know, we wanted to, and this was early on in, in my time, my direct time getting involved was, you know, taking a look at, well, what is it that we, that we're trying to do and why is it important? Right. And so we did some research kind of looking at the other colleges and universities in our area and in our region, also looking at, um, nationally and globally, what's been done, um, and kind of where everyone is at. And it seems like, you know, a vast majority of the colleges and universities, I'll say throughout the nation, and really kind of looking into the, into the world a little bit. I mean, you know, our, our research is, is centered around our, our experience and knowledge, um, but also, you know, whatever else we can search on um, over the internet as far as um, you know, what's been done out there, what people are talking about. And there, if you really look at it, um, and I'm sure this will change over time, there really have not been a lot of universities out there that have um, completed carbon neutrality in some way, right? In some significant way, I'll say, um, you know, as far as it being, if I can say, um, um, pure, um, you know, looking at really transforming the infrastructure, Versus looking at it in other ways. And, you know, there are going to be colleges and universities that don't necessarily have the, um, the same attributes that we have here in Amherst, where we have, you know, a lot of land, 
Um, you know, we don't, we're not constrained by uh, certain utilities, um, energy sources. Um, you know, we can, we can kind of, we can kind of look at a, a different variety of options that maybe uh, a university in a, in a very large, um, in the middle of a very large um, municipal area, right, or metropolitan area would not be able to benefit from, right? Um, and, and we've noticed, um, we've taken, taken note of, you know, what the different strategies are and it kind of picked, picked apart things that we thought would be interesting for us to consider and then for those um, particular things, really looked into those a little bit deeper. So, you know, talking with different university representatives, um, you know, hearing, um, you know, webinars and presentations about what they're doing and what the things that they're considering, the challenges they have, as well as visiting some sites, you know. So one of the things with this geothermal is we, in order for this to work, we have to couple it with another technology called low temperature hot water which allows the geothermal to work in a, both a heating and cooling cycle. Um, you know, low temperature hot water in, you know, the upper north, in the northeast region is, you know, at a surface level, kind of a, a potentially nervous, you know, anxiety, you know, ridden thing, right? I mean, you don't want to use cooler hot water to heat your buildings in an area where it normally gets fairly cold. So does it even work? Um, what we're finding is that it works just fine. And so this could be potentially a game changer for this area, right? Where buildings, you know, the, the standard of uh, design and construction for heating buildings in our region, you know, it, it just may change, you know, just because of the results that, you know, if we, if we start doing things and we, um, base it upon other leaders that have done, you know, invested in these systems prior to us and have had some good success, you know, this may actually change the industry in our area, which would be a good thing. Okay. In the few minutes we have left, can you kind of walk us through what will happen over the next decade? Are there specific <laughs> milestones along the way? Uh, are we going to do this? Uh, yeah, sure. Different parts yeah, of so the campus and then and move along or? How are we going to yeah. do this? Yeah. So, um, so again, kind of, you know, thinking of it from, from the left, from the perspective of, you know, my, my daily life and uh, the industry that I'm in, you know, this is really just kind of folding into um, the, the normal way of doing business for us. Right. So when we, uh, you know, as we work with our colleagues in campus planning and physical plant and throughout all of facilities, getting input from, um, you know, other university stakeholders, you know, we kind of collaboratively plan out how the campus evolves over time. This just folds into that, that conversation, right? So now we're doing it, but we're doing it and making decisions in a way that will lead us um, towards carbon neutrality at some point in the next decade or so. So what that means right now is, uh, as was mentioned in the, um, in the, in the announcement last month um, that we're taking on a proof of concept project where we're taking these concepts, these two main concepts, geothermal and low temperature hot water, and we want to regionalize that on our campus. So we're taking about, we're looking at about a sixth of our campus footprint, about 40 or so buildings. And then we want to build this, this, I'll call it a new power plant, right? The new geothermal power plant mm -hmm. um, connected to these 40 buildings 
look at the investment into the 40 buildings of different vintages of different mechanical system types um, to see what the um, the cost would be to convert those buildings to use this kind of technology. And then we want to learn from that. We want to, you know, we want to design it. We want to cost it out. We want to build it. We want to turn it on. We want to know everything about it. And um, not necessarily at that point of turning it on, um, then we kind of go and, and plan for the remainder of the campus, but we can already start kind of planning it out as soon as we get towards the end of design and have a pretty good cost estimate um, of, of what it would be. We can start planning out future, future phases. And so those future phases could be, you know, another sixth of campus, or it could be centered around a particular area that might be of better need. Um, but you can think of it as, you know, another, we're just cookie cuttering, you know, cookie cutting the, the model that we're um, undertaking now under the proof of concept and just building on top of that. So we'll be converting more buildings, putting more distribution underground, um, adding more um, head end equipment or back, you know, back of the house equipment to, and, and putting in more geothermal wells to kind of handle the demands of the entirety of campus. And yeah, it could take 10 years, it could take 15, but it also could take five, mm. right? It, it, you know, all things just need to line up as far as, you know, the funding sources, the availability uh, of um, resources to implement that, as well as, you know, the considering the impact to campus life. You know, we may have an opportunity where all the stars line up in a certain way and we can accelerate construction um, if, if, you know, if all of the conditions are, are there. Okay. Well, $500 million, that's easily the biggest undertaking in the history of that campus. So uh, uh, it'd be interesting to see how it unfolds. Well, good luck to you in all that. And thank you for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, George. We'll have appreciate to have you back on uh, maybe next year, the year after, and kind of get caught up and seeing how you're doing. I'd love to be here. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of you for listening. This has been Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. We'll see you next time.